My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 97. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to this edition of My Car Guru. Today, we're liable to get into the weeds a little bit. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you kind of get lost in some of this technical stuff I'm going to be talking about, then you are free to go ahead and, you know, do whatever you want to do. Go kayaking, go camping, just get away from the radio or the, well, whatever you're listening to the podcast on. You might be driving down the road and and just maybe put it on some John Denver music or something. I don't know. But if you like technical stuff, then you might like this. And also, if you ever spend money in a service department and you wonder what the heck they're talking about, what do you mean I have to replace my map sensor? What does a map sensor do? Well, I think it's important to know these things. And uh, since this is a podcast as well, you this can be preserved for future time and future generations. You can pass this on to somebody who doesn't know anything about cars. Because there's a lot more to it than engine, transmission, rear end, front-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, wheels, tires, oil, that kind of stuff. There's a lot more to it than that because technology has made things much more complicated. Here's an example. How many sensors do you think the average modern vehicle has? What does a sensor do anyway? Well, sensors like a I don't know, a thermometer is a sensor, right? You stick it in your mouth and it tells you whether you're 98.6 or not. Now, you interpret that information. In a car, a computer is interpreting the information. It's converting information that is either temperature-based or pressure-based, motion-based, and it's converting that to digital data that the computer can read and understand. And it says, whoa, wait a minute. Something's not right. And so it it triggers a check engine light on your dash. So that's how you are notified that something's not right. And then you take it to the dealership, and they want to charge you, oh, you know, an hour's worth of labor to plug it into their computer and diagnose what's wrong. A lot of people pitch fit about that. Um, They they go to, I don't know, O'Reilly's Auto Parts or Advance or something, and they'll actually plug into your car for nothing and tell you what your codes are. So, well, your map sensor is showing bad. They don't fix it, though. They just tell you what they think is wrong with it. But many times that's not what's wrong with it. It's something else behind the map sensor that's just triggering that particular code. A lot of folks don't want to pay for that diagnosis. Let me ask you a question. When you go to the doctor, and you say, Doctor, my back is hurting just a little bit. And he checks you out and he said, There's nothing wrong with your back. Does he still charge you? He sure does. So, you know, a dealership is going to charge you as well because they're having to pull a technician off the line and he's going to plug in to get his computer and plug it into your vehicle. And he's going to use his skill and knowledge and time, which is how he's paid, in order to help diagnose what your problem is. It is an exact science. But it's not always very straightforward because it can be complicated. Okay, let's get back to the question at hand. How many sensors are there? Well, on average, most modern vehicles have about 70 different sensors on it. Imagine, 70 different thermometers. Uh, Some of the really tech-laden vehicles, and especially ones that have a lot of additional safety features, like 
collision avoidance software and sensors and airbag sensors and all that. Well, of course, everything has airbags in it now, but you know what I'm talking about. How many sensors do they have? Up to 200 in one vehicle. And they monitor everything from the air conditioning to your vehicle's current speed, the distance traveled, the tire pressure. They also are used in safety systems like anti-lock brakes, traction control. Airbags, for example, have impact sensors that detect an impact and trigger uh, the airbags to go off. Really, what they do is not trigger when there's an impact. They trigger when there's a sudden deceleration. There's a difference. Well, you know, an impact will cause sudden deceleration, but the sensor is not measuring the impact. It is measuring the deceleration. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, what are the advantage of having so many sensors? Well, they let you know when something's not right with your vehicle. You know, if, if you ignore your check engine light for long enough, people have gotten used to saying, well, that check engine light doesn't mean anything. That's just some sensor. Yeah, it could be your O2 sensor. And if that goes bad long enough and you're getting way too much of an oxygen mix in your exhaust system, you could destroy your motor. All of a sudden, the you know $200 oxygen sensor becomes a $17,000 engine replacement. Not good. So basically, these devices let you know when something's not right with your vehicle. You need to pay attention. Uh, it enables you to fix small issues before they come become big issues, which can some of them can actually have deadly consequences if uh, the ABS fails, for example, the anti-lock braking system. They also make sure that your engine is running correctly with the right amount of air and the right amount of fuel going into that cylinder so that you get better fuel economy. So what causes sensors to fail? Well, they're made by humans. But every mechanical or electronic object is bound to fail at some point. And these things are pretty sensitive instruments. That's what they are. They're instruments. And they involve a lot of electronics. And when you have atmospheric conditions changing from, you know, really low temperatures, like sub-freezing temperatures in certain climates, and then it gets really hot, you know, in the summertime, a car can get up to 150 degrees inside the car. And so to be able to survive that, these systems have to be pretty robust, but occasionally they fail. So we're going to get into some of these, well, some of the most common ones that you'll hear about that are going to have to be replaced on your car. And I just want you to know what they are and what they do. So I'll be back in just one minute. Okay, we're getting really sensitive in this episode, no pun intended. Uh, we're talking sensors, okay? We're talking about all the little things on your car that keep it running good, keep it stopping the way it's supposed to, keep it safe, keep it centered in the lane. You know, if you have uh, like a self-driving function, like my F-150 has Blue Cruise, and it uses cameras and radar and several other things to keep that road, <laughs> keep that road. It doesn't do anything to the road. Keeps the, the vehicle going down the middle of the road in the lane where it's supposed to go. And if something slows down in front of it, those sensors see it and slow down the car. What if that fails? Well, that's why you're supposed to not read a book or watch the latest edition of, I don't know, Harrison Ford and in, in Indiana Jones while you're going down the road. Not a good thing to do. Pay attention, keep your hands ready to take over because 
these machines are made by man, and they can fail. So let's talk about some of these sensors. Oxygen sensor, very common culprit for turning on your check engine light. Do you know that there's an ideal air-fuel ratio for an internal combustion engine to run efficiently? You know what a ratio is, right? It's like 2 to 1, 3 to 1, 4 to 1. It's actually 14.7 to 1, and that never changes. This means that in order to burn one gram of fuel, there needs to be 14.7 grams of air in the combustion chamber. Now, oxygen sensors, also known as O2 sensors, they monitor the presence of oxygen in the exhaust pipes of vehicles. Why would it do that? Well, if you've got oxygen, too much oxygen in your exhaust pipe, then you're not getting a good mixture of air and fuel. You're getting too much fuel and not enough air. It's sliding through. So the information is relayed back to the uh, engine control unit, and that alters the air-fuel ratio. So if your oxygen sensor is bad, it's going to affect a lot of things, your performance, your acceleration, and your fuel economy. Is that important? Yes, very important. Okay, what's the next sensor? It's called the mass airflow sensor. You know, a lot of these things have to do with air, don't they? So the mass airflow sensor is on the other end of the assembly line bad analogy, the other end of the process for uh, combustion of fuel. So it's it actually is in the air intake system, and it measures the volume of air entering the intake. What's the intake? Well, that's the top of your engine, and that's what the air and fuel passes through before it gets to the cylinder. So you either, well, most cars don't have carburetors. A lot of my old cars do. But we had a carburetor, which sits on top of the intake and the carburetor uh, mixes the fuel and the air, and it passes through the air, the intake and into the combustion chamber where it is ignited, and there's an explosion driving that piston down and turning that crankshaft, which in turn goes through a drive sh- or transmission, a drive, shafts, and a drive shaft, and eventually gets to your rear wheels and causing, causes them to turn. That's how it all works. So back to the mass airflow sensor. It's monitoring the amount of air that's going into the system. It, uh, it informs the electronic control unit, which uses that information to determine the amount of fuel that it has to inject to, to maintain that 14.7 to 1 air-to-fuel ratio. If that gets out of whack, then you're using too much air, and it's going to be picked up by the O2 sensor in the exhaust, or too much fuel. And you'll notice that when you look at your gas gauge and your gas mileage goes to pot. So you got the O2 sensor in the exhaust and the mass airflow sensor in the intake at the beginning of the process. So does that make a little bit more sense? I'm trying to keep this simple. Now there are other sensors that are really important. One of them is the air pressure sensor in your tires. You know, that's kind of a modern thing. And um, you ever seen that little uh, warning light that comes on that says uh, low air pressure, low tire pressure. That's one of the reasons at Gateway why we put um, we put nitrogen in all of the tires for the vehicles that we sell because nitrogen molecules are fat. They're overweight, and they uh, don't slip out of the little pores in the tires, 
and the little places in the wheels that might have little pinholes and stuff. They don't. They are fatter, so they can't get through. They can't escape, so the air pressure stays up in your tires better than if you just have regular air. You know, most of the air we breathe is nitrogen anyway, but there's a lot of oxygen molecules in there, and they're smaller, and they escape easier. They want to be free. So uh, that's why we use nitrogen. But those air pressure sensors are important because if the air pressure depletes too much, then it causes your tires to wear prematurely. So if your tires are wearing evenly on the outside edges, it means you don't have enough air pressure in your tires. If they're wearing in the center only of the tire, then uh, you've got too much air pressure. So I just... Recently bought a, a new digital tire pressure gauge. They're not very expensive. I think it was $13. And I check the air pressure in the tires of all of my vehicles once a month. And sometimes I have to add, but usually about every six months when I'm using nitrogen, pure nitrogen, if I'm just using regular everyday old air, then I probably have to, to add air. That Corvair of mine, it has the leakiest tires of course, in that car, it's so old, it actually only uses 15 pounds of pressure in the front tires and 25 in the rear. I was driving an F-350 the other day, and, and I just went over to see, because it, it was riding really rough. They all do. And so I was looking to see what the tire pressures were. 75 pounds of pressure in the rear and 65 pounds in the front. No wonder it rides so rough, but that's that's what it calls for. But those tire pressure sensors are important. And you need to pay attention to that one. Uh, also, oh gosh, this one's important. Oil pressure sensor. So all internal combustion engines uh, use a forced lubrication system to circulate and ensure that the engine oil circulates to every single nook and cranny of the engine so that it will operate smoothly and, and that it will last, you know, preventing any kind of metal-on-metal -metal contact. That's not good. Uh, the engine oil pressure sensor is usually located in the bottom of the cylinder head and is also connected to the engine oil warning light on the dashboard. If that one goes on, you need to pull over because, you know, you're not going to be able to see it if you got pictures of your grandkids covering your dashboard. I had to get on my wife the other day. She actually had a, I love my grandkids, but their pictures don't belong on the dashboard where you can't see your instruments and you can't see your warning lights. I chastised her, but she took it well. Okay, let's see what else. Coolant temperature sensor. I'm getting all kinds of alerts on my computer. That's what the little dong is. That's on my laptop, which is beside well, my Apple. What is this? Apple Air. I love my little Apple computers. If you have some knowledge of basic physics, you must be aware that heat is the killer of efficiency. All modern engines have a robust cooling system to maintain optimal engine temperature for maximum efficiency. That's why you have a temperature gauge. Usually, most cars have a temperature gauge. Some of them still have a, a warning light when the temperature gets too high. Most vehicles have both. But anyway, these systems circulate coolants to take away the heat from the engine. They pass it through a radiator, and that cools it down and sends it back to the engine for another cycle to keep that engine cool. Now, if the coolant gets too hot, well, the sensor sends a signal to that electronic control unit again, and it lights up a light, and you need to be able to see it. And you can't see it if there's pictures of your grandkids covering up your gauges. So 
Let's not do that. Coolant level sensor, that's just another sensor in there. It's kind of like a float. And it just makes sure that you have enough, uh, that you have enough coolant in your system. Now, this uh, 1948 Lincoln Continental that I have, it has, well, it's ancient technology. This thing doesn't even have a dipstick. You know, there's no pressure warning lights. There's a temperature gauge. But you know how you check your oil? Well, you look on top of the engine, and there's this little, it looks like a bobber that you would fish with. And it's just sitting there, and it's got a little metal rod that passes through it. And that thing goes all the way to the bottom of the engine in the oil pan where there's a float. And the oil level is basically you can see your oil level on a little gauge on top of the engine. That is the coolest thing. I don't know why they don't do that still because you wouldn't need a dipstick if you've got something like that. So, you know, sometimes technology is not, or modern technology is not as good as the old technology that we used to have. Let's see what else. Mass, let's see, manifold absolute pressure. It's called a MAP sensor. We, I mentioned that early on. What does it do? Well, its primary role is to send crucial pressure data in the engine manifold. Now, it calculates the difference in pressure inside and outside the engine manifold to ensure that the engine always receives adequate fuel regardless of the pressure changes outside the engine. Now, what would cause pressure changes outside of the engine? Weather. That's about it. Or elevation. So, you know, if you go up in the mountains, that could change. So your engine has to adjust. And the, the MAP sensor tells the engine that, hey, you need to adjust. And it does. The sensor is usually located on top of the intake manifold. Or it could be in the uh, intake track in engines that are not naturally aspirated. What's that mean? Naturally aspirated. Well, that's, a, that's an engine that doesn't have a turbocharger on it. It just sucks air through, a, you know, through the breather, through the uh, air filter, and it goes into the engine. Turbocharged engines use forced air induction and supercharged engines do the same thing so if you have a car with turbocharger do you even know it well if you're driving a ford it's got turbochargers on it unless you're driving a coyote v8 and a maybe an f-150 but if you're driving any of the ecoboost engines and it'll say ecoboost on the side of it then it has turbochargers it is not naturally aspirated it is forced induction so see that's something else that you learned and if you have uh, an engine like that, then there will be a boost pressure sensor that monitors the amount of pressure that the turbo or the supercharger is putting out. If it's not putting out enough, then you could have a problem with your turbocharger. Um, or, you know, it could be one of the sen The sensor could be bad. That's what you hope for. You want the sensor to be bad. You don't want the turbocharger to be bad. You know, those things used to fail a lot, I know, back in the... Late seven. Let's see, was it no mid eighties? Chevrolet came out with a uh, Monte Carlo that had a three point eight liter V six with a turbocharger on it. It wasn't real reliable. You know, one of those cars, I think it's called a Buick Grand National. That car had basically the same engine. I think it was a little hotter than the Chevrolet Monte Carlo version. But those things are worth a fortune. They bring big money that will smoke the tires. That's what some of us guys like. Another very important sensor is called the engine knock sensor. 
you don't really see this a lot anymore. If you use, like if you're driving a car that requires uh, high-octane fuel like premium and you put regular unleaded, you're going to create a situation because that's a high-compression engine and the fuel that's going into it is not correct for that engine and it can cause a knocking situation, which is basically pre-detonation of the, of the fuel. So the fuel's being injected in there, and it's going off before it's supposed to. And that causes a knock, and those knocks cause dents and dings inside your motor and can actually destroy your engine if you let that get out of control. A faulty knock sensor is a bad thing because it's it's supposed to tell you that, um, that there's a problem, and it's supposed to adjust the timing on the engine and several other things, the air, air mixture and several other things. To prevent that, uh, make sure that you put premium fuel in your car that requires premium fuel, and don't waste your money. If it says regular unleaded, just use the, what is it, 87 octane? Just use that. You're wasting your money if you use something else. A lot of people think, well, it's going to clean my engine better. No, it doesn't. It does. Same stuff in there cleaning it. They just want more of your money. Even the medium grade is a waste of money. So just use the, what your car call is calling for and nothing different. Okay, I'll take my last break. Be back in just a minute. You know, when you are sick, you're, um, you've got an infection or you've got some kind of a virus, your body sends you signals that, hey, something's not right. And so you end up uh, going to the doctor or you take some Tylenol and it reduces the fever. Uh, you know, you've got all kinds of things, aches, pains. Lord, I have plenty of those. But uh, a lot of those, my doctor says, Lenny, you're just getting old. Uh, you need to not do that, whatever's causing that. I said, honey, my back hurts. And she says, well, stop bending over and picking up stuff that's too heavy. Good point. But just like your body is going to send you signals, your car is going to as well. Don't cover up your dashboard. If you get a, a check engine light, take it to the dealership that sells the brand of vehicle that you own. Do not go to, you know, some auto parts store because it's free. Because you're just going to have, they're going to tell you, well, you got this code. You're going to have to go to the dealership anyway. Um, now, in some cases, the first thing to check if your check engine light comes on is make sure that your gas cap is on there right. Because that's the number one cause for check engine lights to come on. And if you're driving around, you know, like my the Fords have uh, don't have gas caps. You just it just has a gas door. And if you don't close that all the way, and you're driving around, it's going to trigger your check engine light. Your your fuel system does not like being unsealed. It likes it to be, you know, having the right amount of pressure and all that stuff going on inside your fuel system. If you leave your gas cap off or it's not tightened down right, it's going to screw things up and turn on that check engine light. So pay attention to your vehicle. If you have any other questions about these types of issues, mechanical issues, you know, what's your vehicle worth, that kind of stuff, just give me a call, 423-552-2020, or send me an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll be glad to help you. Thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and I will see you tomorrow.